irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. You're listening to All About Guitar with Jeff Loro. Only on L.A. Talk Radio. instrument. It has developed into an incredible voice in today's music. So many types of guitars, so many styles of playing, all sorts of gear. How does one make their voice be heard as a guitarist? My name is Jeff Floro and welcome to All About Guitar. Where we talk tone, we talk technique, we talk gear. Where we discover how we can become better musicians in a world of constantly changing technologies. Where we take a good look at everything guitar. And sometimes not exactly guitar, but just as important. So we can be more successful as a musician in today's music scene. So sit back and relax, and let's explore All About Guitar. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to All About Guitar. We have a great show for you tonight. I am very, very honored to have the legendary Grover Jackson in studio tonight. Um, I can't begin to explain how much he has influenced rock guitar or just guitar in general because a lot of his designs totally have of you know eventually evolved into a lot of the other guitars that are made today and we're going to talk a little bit about that and i actually brought into studio my jackson which i got very long time ago it was a it was just the body and we put the parts together and i think those are uh jackson pickups too which we're going to talk about so i want to welcome grover it's a pleasure to have you let me move your mic over to you and also joining us is the very lovely chelsea clark who's working with grover now and uh besides she's working i just sent her a guitar to have her work on it for me my my ovation but uh, (laughs) an amazing luthier amazing person she does restoration all sorts of really cool stuff and she has a video blog that you do. You do a lot of uh, videos yeah. of different stuff. All right, let me make sure you're on here. Check, yeah. Hello. There we go. <laughs> and then also my good friend Doug came down to help me. Uh, he's here, but I don't think he has his mic. So no, you just I'm here. You're here. He there you go. <laughs> anyway, so let us start uh, real quick. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what you brought to the table because there's a lot of innovative stuff that you did uh that wasn't done before and i remember it it was a it was a big thing at the time of the different guitars because coming into the 70s uh it was predominantly gibson and and fenders and we were using those those guitars a lot and all our rock heroes were using that but then these new guitars had come out uh your jacksons and you had worked on the design of some of the charvel guitars at that time and there was a lot of you know that's the era when the floyd rhodes tremolo came out there was a lot of different things that were happening 
Um, and then also, if you need to demonstrate, you because we're on Facebook Live, if you want to show some of the things, because there's some interesting design things on this guitar, uh, this Firebird Jackson. Uh, very beautiful finish. You can't really see it. It's a sky blue pearl, pearl really uh, nice. pearlescent finish. And um, But correct me if I'm wrong. One of the things I remember of the guitars is the way you... Uh, the where the access to the upper frets, mm-hmm. there's no heel or very little of a heel on right. this guitar. Was and that was one of your innovations. Well, uh, sort of. I mean, I think that would be one of the lesser innovations. Uh, the the fingerboard stuff and switch stuff and pickup stuff is probably more important. But yeah, there were we wanted to make things as ergonomically comfortable for a guitar player as mm-hmm. possible and if you're going to play up high then the less heel there is the better yes right right but let's talk a little bit about some of the thing now the other thing now this guitar the neck it goes all the way through the pickups it, and the bridge are all one piece yes it's a neck through the body guitar now that was not common right uh it actually was uh, the original Gibson Firebirds were neck to the body guitars. Oh, they were. Oh, they were. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. So Gibson had done had sort of reached into that world for some reason, didn't like it, and stopped. Then my friend, long gone friend Bernie Rico, had made a lot of the BC Riches were neck to the bodies. We made some early set neck guitars and decided that we just didn't honestly have the skill set or the time to do that mm-hmm. so we uh, started spending more time on the ne- on the neck of the body style and bolt-ons now was the what was the advantage i mean we've always known it was more sustained did you i don't know that i would necessarily agree with that it's just different i i, I um you know, I, somehow Jimi Hendrix got by with, you know, a, a bolt-on neck guitar. Yeah, Eric Clapton true. seems to have gotten by. I don't know how, but, uh, you know, it seems <laughs> to have worked for him, you know. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't make that distinction that one is better. They're just mm-hmm. different. They're, okay. And some instruments speak to one guy and not to another, and that's just the way it is. So, Well, tell us a little bit then what... The design uh, things that you had done on on a guitar like this that were significant and unique. Uh, I think a lot of it was just pure execution. We we were doing cleaner, better work than other people. Mm, uh, that's for sure. Uh, some other people. I don't want to you know take a pee on anybody, but um, and probably one of the biggest things was the compound radius fingerboard, which. Um, we started trying to figure out why did some guitars, when we come out of the repair business and any good repairman from that era, if he did a refret, he would pull the frets out, he would clean the board up, and then he would dog the upper end of the fingerboard off. And because he sort of knew that if he left the radius, the same radius all the way up, even with new frets, when you bend the string, it would fret out. Mm-hmm. So we began to wonder why is that and so one of the guys that worked with me at the time uh, who was a great mathematician I had the, the idea and he actually proved it in, in a um, like a college thesis uh, which I still have um, that as the string climbs the hill it um, well wait a minute let me let me try to figure out how to explain this the nut is one width the bridge is a different width so right. a section of a cylinder is the same all the way down 
But that's clearly not what this is. This is a section of a cone, not a right, section right. of a cylinder. So that's the compound radius. As you go further down the cone, the radius gets larger and larger and larger. So we tested the theory, and it worked. And, and we ended up making, this is pre-CNC machine, this is early 80s. We actually made a Rube Goldberg-style machine where you could mount the neck on this machine. It, um, it w the, the neck was, or fingerboard, were, was movable, but ex eccentricly, ex uh, eccentrically. And, and so you were seeing more of the fingerboard at one end and less at the other. Mm -hmm. Above that were two linear bearings with a hand router mounted on it. <laughs> and so you would tighten the neck down, turn the motor on, run it down, turn it off, loosen the thing, rotate the neck, tighten it down, turn the motor on, run it down again, and you basically were cutting facets mm -hmm. down the fingerboard, and then you'd clean that up. Today, we do that with CNC machines. It's just like that, yeah. really quick and easy. Mm -hmm. But in those days, it was a very difficult concept to make something like that. So that we were the first people to do compound fingerboards, and then it became pretty standard. Right, but that was... Uh, that's labor intensive. That's one of the reasons compound uh, radius uh, fingerboards. It was a more expensive guitar. It, that's the way you're talking about. That's tedious. That it was tedious, and and that was one of the sort of steps that we took that took more time to make a better guitar. Yeah, I I had come out of being a guitar player down south, and had owned flying original flying V's and Explorers and and Sunburst Les Pauls. I mean, I, I've probably owned. $20 million worth of guitars at today's <laughs> values. Mm -hmm. The last one that I owned was a Sunburst that I sold to Ace Fraley uh, through Gruen Guitar in Nashville. Mm -hmm. That guitar's for sale today. Oh, wow. There's a dealer. Uh, it's my guitar. Mm -hmm. He wants a million dollars for that one guitar. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, because it's got the provenance of having been right. owned by Ace, but well, it was that, also that, yeah. it was a tremendous guitar. But so I knew what good guitars were. Mm -hmm. So everything we were doing, the whole Sherville Jackson thing came out of this repair shop mentality, where at that time Gibson and Fender both were not very in tune with their customer. So what we saw repetitively over and over and over again is a guy would buy a Les Paul or he'd buy a Stratocaster and he'd bring it to us and he'd say, can you put, you know, flatten the fingerboard out and can you put big frets in it? Can you change the pickups and can you put better tuners on it? And so the epiphany was, uh, why don't we just make that? <laughs> it wasn't really genius. It was just like right there in your face. They're not doing what the consumer wants. We're, we have the skill set to be able to affect those changes. Why don't we just make that? Right. It, it seemed well, pretty obvious. Yeah. Well, one of the things, just to explain to the audience a little bit, like very common in the 60s, uh, the Fender guitars, especially they had what they called the B-style, which I think was a 9-inch radius. It was very curved. Uh, the, the fretboard was curved, so it was easy to chord. That was a big... I remember in the Fender catalog, they would say that. Mm -hmm. And... I have a B-style neck on my Strat, but like you said, when you try to and you keep the action low and you bend, if you bend the E string up to the D string, it would cancel out. That's right. Now the bridge I have is similar to it's a locking tremolo a Goto, but it actually has the individual pieces like the Strat bridge. It was tricky because you had to get longer screws, but I actually raised the bridge and curved it, and it actually works, but. 
that was the problem. So that was what we were talking about where when he did the compound radius, by widening the radius, by flattening it out with that conical design that he's explaining, it made it a lot easier to play. But it still had that, when you played in the first to the fifth fret, it had that nice curve. It was easy to it was easy to play. Well, it, it, if you look, again, if you just look at your hand, hold your hand up and look at it, it's all curves. There's no yeah. straight lines there. Yeah. yeah. So... So your hand wants to feel things. Mm-hmm. That's that's the essence of ergonomics is fitting mm-hmm. made objects to human you know uh, mm-hmm. anatomy. So uh, uh, that was what we, our quest the whole time. I mean, one of the things again, I loved Bernie to death. He was my good friend right up until the time he died. But if you put almost any of those BC Rich guitars on, you spend half the time pulling the guitar back to you because they were all head heavy. Uh, and I mean that not disrespectfully at all, because like I say, I loved Bernie to death. But one of our, there was an interview um, in Guitar Player magazine, probably in the '60s. I've always, I'm, I'm a lifelong uh, fan of Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. and uh, he he said in this interview that he wanted to get on stage and play things that looked really hard but were easy to play, so he could impress girls. <laughs> and uh, if you're chasing the guitar. If you're playing something and then all of a sudden you have to pull the guitar back to you because it's gone yeah. head heavy, well, it's hard to stay focused on impressing the girls. <laughs> That's true. The SGs I noticed were a lot of them were top heavy. They're very head heavy. Yes, and um, they it was yeah I noticed that. So I would put a Bigsby and balance. There so, you go. <laughs> guys, drop I, a weight in the. To, to my knowledge, you guys get on stage to play or ladies. Thank you. Yeah, we go on there uh, too. Yep. Uh, to do one of two things: make a musical statement or impress the opposite gender. So that's the only two reason for going there. Yeah. So uh, if you're fiddling with a guitar, and I mean I've said this since the '80s, if if you're fiddling with a guitar, um, you're not concentrating on what you're there mm-hmm. to do. So the guitar, in essence, when you're on stage or recording, needs to disappear. It needs to be non-visible. Because if it's visible, you're fooling with it rather right, than making right. the music statement or, or impressing somebody. Yeah. Now that guitar, the the Firebird, is pretty well balanced. It it sits really right. It's not a light guitar, mm-hmm. but it's it not works. chambered. <laughs> no, that's solid. That's solid wood. But it, it it when you when you put it on, it's it's there. It doesn't. It's not. It's not head heavy at all. So right. now let's talk a little bit about one of the most famous guitars that you design and that's the Randy Rhodes. Okay. So tell us a little bit how that came about. What did he want? How did you get to the whole I mean I, I think a little bit of background is probably necessary and again no aspersions to anybody, but Quiet Riot had, had been around town for a few years and had bounced around every record company. It's pretty well documented. Hadn't been able to get a record deal, uh, for whatever reason. And uh I actually had known Ozzy from the the last Black Sabbath tour that he mm-hmm. did, which was the debut tour for Van Halen. They, Van Halen was the opener on the last tour that Ozzy sang with Black Sabbath. And again, very well documented that Ozzy was in rough shape, okay? And that tour ended and Ozzy was no longer in Black Sabbath. He and Sharon got together. I've known Sharon since she was 17 and I was 21. Wow. Uh, her dad was Jet Records. And uh, I'd done work for Jet Records and uh, I'd known Sharon since she was 17 years old and had a great relationship with her. She's a tremendous gal. Uh, so um, um, they decided, she sort of cleaned Ozzy up or began the cleaning up process and, and had an idea for Ozzy to have a solo career. 
And uh, to do that, they had to have a band, and so they did auditions for guitar players. Rand, Quiet Riot was not doing much. Randy went around, got the gig, went to England to Ridge Farm, and recorded that first record with, with Ozzy. But you have to sort of understand that Randy was not Randy Rhodes. He was just a guy that had been in a failed band around L.A. Mm -hmm. and had this opportunity to go work with this guy that was a burnout that was getting ready to become, you know, the Prince of Darkness. Right, right. Okay? So Randy came back after recording that record. The record wasn't even released here. It had been released in Europe and was doing pretty well. Uh, I still have the record album that Randy brought me and gave me and circled his favorite song uh, on the record. I still have that in my some of my memorabilia stuff. But he called, and I knew who he was from around town, you know, because they'd played around, and I would go to the venues and so on and so forth. And he called on December 23rd and said, hey, I'm back from England, and I'd like to get a guitar made. Well, I'd already turned all the people loose that worked for me for Christmas. And I said, well, okay, why don't you come by tomorrow, Christmas Eve, and uh, let's, let's see what you want. And he came in at noon, just me and him, and we sat from noon till midnight. We sat there for 12 hours and talked and just wow. bonded. Uh, and the thing is, you know, people want to ask me quite often about Randy and, you know, played this and used strings, that, and I don't know any of that crap. I, I don't care about any of that. What I know is he was a great guy. He was a, he was a warm, personable, intelligent, uh, just a great guy, mm -hmm. and he happened to play guitar. So well, I want to keep that in my mind. I want to keep that image and not the rock star image. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah, no, that's I understand. Just not something I because he was an innovator too. He was a great. Player. He was a tremendous innovator. But now, what did he coming off of? I think at that time he was using his white Les Paul, and he had some strats. I think he was, well, he had the black and white polka dot V that Carl Sandoval made for him. Okay, that Carl was an employee of mine before that. So. So when he came in, in this marathon friendship thing, um, he had a cocktail napkin, which has subsequently, in the mists of time, disappeared. And it had basically four lines on it, and that was the body shape, just tr four crude lines. And in that marathon first meeting, we designed that guitar together. Okay. Made the first guitar, which is the white one. He came, he went and did the, that tour with Ozzy, uh, the first U.S. tour, came back at the end of the tour, or actually in a break in the tour, and said people were asking him if it was a Gibson that had been cut up, and he wanted to make something that was more extreme, more shark fin shaped, and that was his words, shark fin shaped. Mm -hmm. And that's where the current Randy Rhodes shape was designed. Again, Randy and I made right, right. the modifications. We Actually, Kevin Dubrow brought, because Randy didn't drive at that point for some reason. And Kevin came out, and the three of us, I had a couple of uh, body blanks prepared, and we laid the original guitar down and traced around it, and he said, no, more this way, and so I'd, I'd kind of erase that and draw a line and go, nah, a little <laughs> bit more like this. And uh, a, a little side note is, is that I've, I've noticed that guitar players generally are of two ilk. They either want to know everything. What's the size of the screw and how many turns on the screw? What's the torque of the screw? And, and then the other kind of guitar player doesn't want to know anything. He doesn't want to know how to change strings. And Randy was that guy. He didn't want to change strings. He didn't want to know anything about how things were made. So 
we're, we're standing over this bench and drawing, and I said, okay, well, that's it? And he goes, yeah, I think that's it. I said, okay, let me take you to the bandsaw, and I'll just hack it out. And he says, oh, no, I can't watch that. And he <laughs> ran off to the office. I mean, uh, he just... And, and I think there's another sort of interesting quirk about Randy, uh, a charming sort of thing, is he would get a new guitar and he would open the case and he would look at it and he would close the case and then go play some other guitar for the gig that night. And the next day he'd come back and he'd open the case and maybe he'd take it out and hold it and he'd put it in the case and close it. And then he'd go play the gig with another guitar. And he had to, he had to sort of warm himself up and acclimate to a new instrument where other guys that I've known, I made a guitar for Jeff Beck for the arms concert flew to New York, gave him the guitar, he went on stage and played it that night, just the way it walked in the door. Right. Uh, scared me to death. <laughs> if there was something wrong with it, he's, uh, you know, at this prestigious event and it didn't work, it was like all eyes would be on me and I was well, like, I don't know. My, my Jeff Beck story is a friend of mine was telling me in London when he was recording one of his albums, he got to go to the studio and Jeff wasn't there yet, but basically sitting, leaning against this amp, was a strat that was literally falling apart. It just trashed. It just it looked unplayable, and that's what he used on the album. And all those he could you know he you could give him a slab of wood, and you know he'd be it'd be fine. I mean he was just amazing that way. But with Randy, did he besides the design? Did he have? Did he say like for example the shortcomings of what he was playing? Like can you make this better? Can you do this? Can, no, he didn't really. He, he didn't have any idea. Okay. He, so, would, he would just say, I don't know, something's wrong. Now, when you were making that, was that a neck through? Mm -hmm. That was a neck through, so you yep. just put the two side things? Yep. And pretty much, I think the necks were similar to that one, right? Same. It's very radio. similar, yeah. Yeah. Okay. A little and, heavier. A little heavier? Yeah, he liked a big neck because he, he was used to that white Les Paul, which yeah. had a big, you know, Louisville slugger neck on it. Yeah. And he had small hands. He was a really tiny little guy. But he didn't have any problem, you know, getting around a large neck. It didn't bother him at all. Now, at the, the the first that first guitar that you were making for him, were were the Floyds out at that point? No, nope. used to using. There was no Floyd Rose. So, what kind of a, a, it, a whammy bar? It had a brass tremolo by made by a friend of mine named Bill Garion in Orange County. Was it a vibrato or a fixed? No, it was a, basically it was a Strat tremolo, but made out of That's solid brass. Solid Strat. Okay. Wow. So the Floyd came later then. All yeah. of that stuff came later. A year or so later, yeah. And we, then, we, heard, we heard rumors. There were starting to be rumors that there was this device that would actually stay in tune. Because in the old days, you basically tuned uh, a tremolo guitar one of two ways. You, you could tune it where it would stay in tune if you bent a string, but if you used the arm, it would go out of tune. Or you could tune it so that it would stay in tune if you used the arm, but it wouldn't stay in tune if you bent the string. Yeah. And it would, you could do one or the other, but you couldn't do both. And then we heard, oh, wow, there's this thing that will allow you to play and it'll stay in tune. It's like, no, that's not possible. It was possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's for sure. But the, uh, so what, now what, what about the pickups? Now, did you make his pickups, or did you put something No, uh, Randy's guitar had Seymour Duncan pickups. Okay. San, uh, Seymour and Kathy Duncan were friends of mine from the very, very, very beginning. Um, and I only ended up... Uh, should I tell this story? Oh, what the heck. Um, it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So we were coming up at the same time, friends, and... Um, 
we were using Seymour Duncan pretty much exclusively, but at that time, the Seymour Duncan Company, it's different today, but at that time there was no OEM price. There was retail, that's in the old days of MSRP, Manufacturer right. Suggested Retail. That doesn't exist anymore. Everything is MAP today. But there was MSRP and there was wholesale. So a dealer, a music instrument retailer, could buy the pickups at the same price as we could. So they were more expensive than what we'd used before, so we would charge the dealer a premium for using the Seymour Duncan pickups. And all of a sudden I had large retailers like Sam Ash calling and saying, well, make the guitar and don't put the pickups in. We'll just put the pickups in because we can buy them the same price you are. And I'm going, well, no, I'm, I'm trying to build complete guitars. I'm not right. selling parts. So I went back to the Seymour Duncan company and said, I'm not trying to grind you. I'm not trying to be a cheapskate. But there's, I got to spend the money to buy the pickups, and I, there's some, you know, Labor. overhead yeah. and stuff to to sort of do this operation. I, can you give me just a little discount to cover my costs? And they had no interest in doing that. I begged and I pleaded. I did everything for well over a year. With the final threat being, do you want to put me in the pickup business? <laughs> and they said, well, I, we don't think we can do it. And within a year, I had 28 people making 4,000 pickups a week. Wow. <laughs> I was making more pickups than they were. And the reason for that was when I made the, the agreement to take Charvel to Japan, one of the considerations for that deal was that they have USA-made pickups in them. So I wasn't supplying my little factory making 300 guitars a month. I was supplying a Japanese manufacturer making 4,000 guitars a month. And so we, I was buying magnet wire mm -hmm. a ton at a time. Oh, yeah. 2,000 pounds of magnet <laughs> yes. wire at a time. <laughs> it was insane. So... Um, the Seymour Duncan Company is a great company. They're great people. They're oh, old yeah. friends. They put me in the pickup business. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be in the pickup business. Okay, but now you're making pickups. So where did <laughs> yeah. you go from there? Because you obviously the Jack the Jackson pickups became famous for a certain sound. And yeah. So what did you do? I mean, you you had to tweak it. We did. So, well, well you know, like you said, these pickups and, and this guitar are not high output pickups. I've never believed in high output pickups. I believe in low output pickups. There's, and especially today, there are so many high gain amplifiers and stomp boxes to do this and that and the other. I've always felt like it was really important for a guitar to just sound good. Stick it through a twin reverb on two, and if it sounds good, if it sounds like a guitar, if the strings ring, you can muddy it up and distort it and do anything you want to, but if you start with high gain pickups, you can't go back. There's no way to back off of that. Mm -hmm. So we do make some high, higher gain pickups, but the bulk of what we make today is low output to moderate out pick, output pickups. And, and that's to have a narrow line that no. you're talking about. Yeah, by the way, about. I don't mean to... Uh, you no, know, you're fine. Dick, you're fine. No. Well, we're yeah. gonna, we're going to yeah. talk about the habaneros yeah. in a minute. Yeah. But the uh, so the but you you were playing around a lot with the pickups to get. So let me let me let me just rattle about that for just a second. Um, th there's so much marketing hooey in pickups. <laughs> okay. Don't buy the BS, folks. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. 
<laughs> There's three gauges of wire that are used, used in, in guitar pickups, 42, 43, and 44 gauge wire. It's copper wire. Mm -hmm. There are uh, three insulations that go on, and you can have it heavy build light or, or light regular build, single or double or triple build insulation. And when I say that, um, this wire is a quarter the size of a human hair, okay? So when you say insulation, what does that mean? There's a liquid bath. You have this wire, this tiny, tiny, fine wire, and it's, and it's run through a liquid bath of insulation. Could be enamel, could be formvar, could be polyurethane. That's the three uh, polysol, they call uh, insulations. Depending on the viscosity of the bath, the rate that it's drugged through there, that determines the film, the residue that's left on the copper wire, and that's mm -hmm. the insulation. If there was no insulation, the pickup would short out, and you, you wouldn't have a pickup, okay? So you got three gauges of wire, you got three types of insulation, um, you have um, six or eight different types of magnets. There's alnico and ceramic. Ceramic is almost always a ceramic five, you have Alnico 2, 4, 5, 7, and 8. So we have what I call stew. You want more potatoes? Okay, we're going to put a heavier you know, magnet in it. But it's just a bunch of formulas. It's not like there's no fairy dust in there. Right. People want to tell you, scatter wound. It's one of the things that just drives me the craziest. If it's scatter wound, how do you make another one? <laughs> well, this one's really good, and this one's not so good. Well, it's scatter wound, all right. You got it. <laughs> this is this is junk, and you know. And there may be people that dispute me about that. I don't care. I, that's my point of view. Mm -hmm. So stick to the knitting. Do do the simple stuff. Forty-two gauge wire, moderate amount. You know, Alnico five magnet sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty darn good. Yeah, so. no, that's... Well, I, every guitar that I've played, every Jackson, the pickups always sounded... Well, smaller. thank you. Thank you. And we we did have a, a more high out... A 44 gauge, you get higher resistance, and, you know, it's it's a hotter pickup. Still, we always almost always used Alnico 5 magnets in those pickups, and they sound great. Mm-hmm. Um, the the more exotic magnet varieties are more modern. In the 80s, it was basically Alnico 5. Uh, we we currently make some Alnico 8 and some Alnico 2. Yeah. Uh, but, and, but it's just a bunch of foreign, uh, components that go together to make yeah. stew. Well, a lot of people, we were talking about this on another show, you got to remember certain things happened. There were reasons for it. The super distortion which was DiMarzio's big one in the high-output pickup, the original reason for that was not that, you know, for, it wasn't necessarily a tonal thing. It was the amps didn't have the... You, you couldn't overdrive them enough. They didn't right. have the gain stages yet. They, haven't de they hadn't developed that. So like a Plexi Marshall or even a Fender, you had to have some type of a boost to get it to really scream and do stuff. So... That's the the whole point of the DeMar the the, super the original electro harmonics LPB ones. Those were the first little box that yeah. you plug in. The, in so the you could use a you, know, you could use a lower gain pickup and get that sound. But that was one of the solutions. A lot of guys didn't want a lot of stuff mm -hmm. with this pickup that overdrove or drove through a line of pedals. It had enough gain 
but that was the thing we all started noticing is there was no, you know, if you're playing full-blown crunch, you know, you're losing your highs, you're losing your lows. It's kind of this mid-range thing, so right. you don't notice it. But if you're trying to do some Hendrix glassy type of stuff, the the super the, the high output pickups just didn't deliver. So, right. but uh, that that was the reason was because the equipment at that time. Now today we have, like you said, such high gain amps. You don't need it. You can you know you can use a little wimpy pickup and it'll sound amazing. Right. It'll scream. You know so. I just wanted to bring it Musical out. Musical styles have changed a lot, too. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, um, go back and listen. One of the greatest records ever created is Back in Black. Mm-hmm. You know, ACDC, that must be really distorted. No, it's barely distorted. Go back and listen to the record really closely to the guitar. It, the guitars. It has edge on it, but it's nowhere near yeah, the uh, game. some modern you know, metal band. Uh, and that's a record, Black and Blacks, sat on the charts for 10 years. One of the biggest selling records in ever and considered one of the uh, the hallmarks of metal music. It's not distorted. It's yeah. crunchy. It's not distorted. Well, the, the one I, I always I bring up is uh, Rock in the Fillmore Humble Pie. Yeah. And uh, that's those are plexis dimed up and then he's yep. just using his Les Paul yep. Peter Frampton at that time and the other one's a P90 a single P90 I spent uh, when I was away from the guitar business for two years I, I when I sold out my interest in Jackson Charvel I had a non-compete I had a studio in Motown Hitsville Studios mm-hmm. over in West Hollywood down in the basement and uh, Peter Frampton was across the, the hall from me and Willie Wilcox from Utopia next door and so I I, I saw Peter every day for two years and uh, we spent a lot of time. He did, uh, what was the name of that uh, Spanish band that was so popular right in that era? We did, we did a soundtrack for uh, a Japanese movie. And Peter picked up one of those Gibson, Chet Atkins, nylon string oh, guitars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. copped uh, that, um, I can't think of the name of that band. Uh, really popular gypsy sort of band. Spanish. Gypsy Kings? Gypsy Kings, oh, gypsy, yeah. Gypsy Kings. Oh, they're Peter great. Peter knocked that off. Them. I mean, you think of him as Humble Pie. He knocked off the Gypsy Kings like that. Wow. No, Killed I, it. He, wow. I've seen him, I've seen him play guitar for, like, David Bowie yeah. and doing totally different stuff. And, mm. yeah, he's a good session guy. I mean, wow. he does know his... He knows his. He has chops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's more than just humble pie, though. Humble pie is a textbook. Oh, it is for tone. That yeah. is a textbook for tone. So. It's a textbook for vocals too. Mary, oh, I love Mary Steve was the, He was the greatest. Yeah, no, he was. I saw them, but I saw Clem Clemson playing guitar, which is a great yeah. guitar player too. Yeah, but they they just sounded great, loud, very yeah. loud. Yeah, but they were great. So. But now let's okay. Let's fast forward now to habanero pickups. Is that, am I saying that right? Habanero. Habanero. Yeah. habanero. Looking at back then, okay, you were making these pickups for these guitars and stuff. And look, what now are you bringing to the table with habanero? What's changed? And have you made have very you made little? A, have you made a better pickup? Uh, we were able to execute a little more cleanly, uh, but they still, it's basically the same philosophy. I mean, old dogs don't learn new tricks, and mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. I mean, I, we make some higher output pickups. They're not my favorites. Well, we, we do that as a sort of tip of the hat to that, but, you know, a really good meat and potatoes 42-gauge wire pickup with an Alnico 5 magnet sounds good to me. 
does every, it, it, it does a lot of things, mm-hmm. and that's it has a wide range. So. Now, I forgot to ask this. When you were making the when the original guitars back in the day, like Randy Rhodes, mm-hmm. and a lot of guys wanted the humbucker in the, the bridge position, uh, how did you there, – were there pickups made? I remember there's a, uh, this, the uh, spacing of the poles was different on a Gibson and a Fender. Right. And, like, Eddie – tilted it to right. get that what did you do because you got your your pickups weren't tilted did you were you able to the magnetic it? field is large enough i mean there are there are uh trim spaced pickups i don't believe in them okay uh we have bobbins to make them we haven't had a single order for one um so you use just the Gibson? actually we did have a we did we just had one order for trim spaced pickups sully i think oh sully. yeah sully i think outward. it was sully yeah, yeah. sully guitars Okay. Uh, who's our buddy in, down but in Texas? For like Randy's guitars, you just used like a the, like a standard humbucker type size. Uh, Duncan's, yeah. Okay. Duncan custom in a bridge, and but a he didn't do narrow. Jazz. He didn't do narrow ones. He didn't make narrow ones at that time for the for the. You mean wider ones? No, isn't the strap narrower? Uh, the humbucking is narrower than the than the strap. Oh, okay. So it had, space to be, it had to be wider. Wider. Yeah, they're bigger bobbins. Okay, it's not much, and it the magnetic was, field, you know. You take a piece of paper and stick it under the strings and sprinkle some iron filings on it. You'll see that there's plenty of magnetism there. Okay. People tell you they hear that. In my life, I've met, and I've known a lot of people, I've met two guys I would never argue with. Uh, Alan Holsworth, who passed away here about the year and a half ago, um, and David Lindley, who's been a friend of mine for 40 years. And um, David Lindley is a national treasure. Yes. I, I, you know, he's... He's not even a human anymore. He's just a national treasure. Um, so, he, and he's, I'm proud to have him call him my friend. Uh, and, but if he, I've actually seen him pick up a piece of wood and, and he goes into this like trance and he goes, yeah, I know what that's going to sound like. And I don't argue with him. I don't argue. <laughs> and he knows. He absolutely is able to, it's like uh, some kind of Martian mind meld with a piece of wood and he knows what it is. That's amazing. That's a, you know, it, well, he's amazing anyway. I, I, in, in this thing about tone and sound, I think there's one little story I, I probably should tell because um, I, I, I think it's an important story. Um, early 80s, um, my star was rising, and I was young, and I was full of myself. <laughs> I was a genius. You could just ask me. And um, which is you know, the exuberance of youth. And uh, <coughs> David and Ry Cooter were doing some dates together. They'd known each other since the 60s. And uh, one of them went into a pawn shop on the somewhere and bought a Tisco Del Rey, which I don't think you could describe much more modest of, of an instrument, and I'm being as politically correct as I know how to be. But they liked the way the pickups sound. And uh, so they bought two or three of them, and David came by and said, can you put a neck on this because it's not playable? And I put a neck on one for David. And then he brought one of Rye's by and said, can you put this on a, a, a nice neck on this for Rye? And I made him a neck, Strat-style head. And um, on the appointed day that Rye was coming to pick up the instrument, um, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, I'm making 
guitars for Gary Moore and I'm making guitars for this guy. I'm just not quite sure if working on T's Go Del Rey's is up to my standard. And <laughs> I, was, I was really full of it, okay? And uh, Ry Cooter came in my office and sat this close to me and played this T's Go Del Rey. And I mean, it was a religious experience. It was an epiphany. I realized in that moment, first of all, that it was never about me. And it had very little to do with the instrument. And it was about the soul and the spirit, the heart mm -hmm. of the artist. Um, and I don't even think that Ry Cooter knows he gave me that gift that day. But he put me in my place That's without huge. even thinking about it. So we can talk about magnets and wire and this and that and the other. But really, and, and it didn't stop me from wanting to do what I do better. Okay, I didn't take it as oh screw it. I might as well just stop now because it doesn't matter. I didn't. I didn't take that from it. I took it as a challenge to do better, to try to equip, you know, artists with better instruments. Um, and the, I'm a big fan of Itzhak Perlman, the famous violinist. And I've used this story over the years many times. If Mr. Perlman walked in this door right now, and we had a humble fiddle not even a violin, a fiddle. And we said, oh, Mr. Perlman, could you please? And he would go, oh my God, these people, what am I gonna do with you? And he would pick that up and we would get 95%. He would leave mad, okay, that we had forced him to do this. We would still get him, yeah. okay, yeah. because he's him. Well, every, every great player that you've known they get you, you pick up a guitar they they still sound great because mm -hmm. they it's in the hands i mean ultimately it's in, it's in the hands i can't tell you how many people that i've known over the years who've played guitars of famous guys let's say ed van halen and they pick the guitar up and they go why don't i sound like ed van halen well because you're not <laughs> that's why and it's just not about the guitar. Again, I, I, I don't want to take that as a... As a, as a no, but that's true. That's, you can tell. I mean, I've given friends of mine that are great players, and they'll just play... Diff they'll, they'll walk in and just play it, and all of a sudden it's magic. Yeah, yeah. It's in the hands. Yeah. It's in the soul and what yeah. you're playing. It's, it's, and it's the our, human part of it. Right. And but, it's our tremendous benefit to have an opportunity to contribute in some way to artists... And even if you're not a great Absolutely. artist, I mean, I tell people all the time, you don't have to be Elvis. Yep. You don't have to be Ingbe Momstein. You can, you know, if you're a dentist or a bricklayer or, you know, uh, whatever, you can go home one day a week, close your little room door so the rest of the family's not bothered, flail away badly on Proud Mary, <laughs> out of tune. You're going to get the benefit of playing music. That's what Play, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Proud Mary, how did you know? Just flailing. Yeah. And, but it, music has that yeah. power yes. it does. to take it really you away, does. remove the pressures and the stresses of life. I mean, it's been proven it, it's healthy for you. So buy guitars. Buy guitars. guitars. <laughs> <laughs> but. And, and, but that being said about the hands and, and that ability, one thing I have to say is playing a guitar like the Jackson, it is easier to do things. It is an easier guitar to play. That neck is fast. It's not fatiguing. Mm. And I've played guitars that mm -hmm. 
my hand starts hurting after 10 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and it, it, there is something to be said. You did facilitate people to play better by making a guitar that was easy to play. Well, like I say, I, I had owned some of the great guitars of history, so I, I had I had a, an intuitive sort of library of, of information about what a good guitar ought to be, uh, and that really helped a lot uh, in terms of pushing a bunch of young guys in a, in, in a factory into making great guitars. And we were the real frustration for me about the 80s was that we didn't have the tools the software and the CNC tools that, that exist today to be able to replicate the designer's dream. And back in the day, uh, you, especially if, and it's one of the problems of, of, of our system is that if you're successful, you end up removed from the thing that you want to do. And, and I've said any number of times that the late 80s, when I was a minor deity at least, uh, it was one of the most frustrating times of my life because I would go to work in the morning and I would I would talk to insurance agents and then in the middle of the day I would take Johnny Rock God to lunch and, and in the afternoon I'd sort out a, a squabble with people in the pickup department and I'd get in the car at the end of the day and I'd go, I didn't do anything. And so it was it was and and in that situation at that point, I was making more money than anybody in the history of my family had ever made because I came from very blue-collar, humble background. And so you're miserable, and you buy a Rolex watch. <laughs> and that's the heroin that, that, that assuages your internal turmoil. But it only lasts about two weeks, and then it's like, I don't know, how about a Mercedes? Let's buy that, okay? And you keep trying <laughs> to buy these things to cover up the fact that you're miserable. That you're not creating. Yeah, you're not creating. That's anything. it, yeah. that's and it. So, so now we're small enough and mm. connected enough that, uh, that it's a visceral, a daily visceral experience. Mm -hmm. It's much better today than it was well, then. Well, let's. Mm -hmm. I wish I had the money, though. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, get, get yourself a Rolex watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> two. Let's have three. <laughs> now, the, the website is www.groverjackson.com. Tell me a little bit about where the company is now. And one of the things I do want to mention, which I think is totally cool, is you have guitar classes and guitar building. Yes. That is so vital. I think that's very important. And very cool. So could, could you kind of just give us a little more where the company is now? Okay, so this is this is my spiel. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Grover Jackson Engineering um, is. I don't want to say we're ghost builders, but we're, we we are. Um, we support boutique builders that are growing. Um, we help them transition during that time of. Whoa! What do I do now? Um, and I, th it's it's wonderful. Um, you can Grover's been able to pass on his knowledge of the industry experiences that people. I mean, you can't you can't really buy and you can't read about. Um, I, so it's it's been a really uh, it's been a wonderful experience to work with some of these new designers and new builders um, because. 
we kind of give them hope in a sense. I mean, we'll sit there. Well, are they coming in with already? A, you can take those off. Yeah, because we're, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, yeah. It's so it, it's two things. We, yeah. we we do the classes that we have done classes and have some more planned yeah. for 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 um, regular folk who want to be have an exposure to what does it mean to build a guitar. That's one thing. Yeah. And then the, then there are the the. Uh, up and coming people that that um, have an idea, have a design, you know, that, and so we will do work, job shop work, essentially for them. So it happens a couple of different ways. The the big one for us right now is yeah. Friedman, which uh, you were going to yes. have. Yes, we've we had we've had yeah. your guitars on. They're yeah, great guitars. They're great guitars, aren't they? Yes. They really are wonderful. So, so that that's been a tremendous relationship yeah. for us. And Dave Friedman is a great guy to yes. work with. Uh, um, so. We're trying to take the knowledge that we have and, and spread it and expand it and, and make it available. Well, one of my big things is uh, safety. I, mm-hmm. um, I'm very proud of the fact that in my entire career there's only ever been two minor accidents on my watch. I, I just don't... Um, one of my earliest experiences in life, I, I grew up... Um, my dad was a cabinet maker, furniture maker, and I would, we lived in a two-story house. We lived upstairs. My dad's shop was downstairs. And at six years old, I was sitting on the stairs watching one of the guys in my dad's shop. I watched him saw his right forefinger off with a table saw that I still have. <laughs> I have my dad's table saw that I watched the guy saw his finger off. And I keep that table saw as a memory of what I won't mm-hmm. allow to happen. And the truth is that, that machinery, as my dad said many times, has no conscience. It doesn't care. It'll just hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big thing. It is you know, young young people get excited about being around things and doing things, and then they get hurt. I don't allow that. I don't want yeah. that. And yeah. that's one thing I definitely want to pass on is a is a sense of tools are wonderful, and you need to be careful. You need to know how to use them. Yes, right. that is, and I think a lot of our classes, the smaller classes, are geared towards that. It's not necessarily. A, a, a luthier school by any means but we offer a few classes here and there um, to help with a bit of knowledge maybe about electronics or pickups or finish work um, just to kind of add into uh, somebody else's drive for knowledge yeah I, I think yeah we just kind of we're supporting the small builders it's uh, you know and she knows finishes but yeah. I've watched her videos <laughs> on how to match that faded look on a Gibson. That's amazing. So maybe one little thing that I should throw in. This will be yeah. where I'm maybe a little controversial. Mm-hmm. I hate that term, luthier. Yes, I, I, me too. I, um, I call them luthers. luthers. Um, this industry has some people in it who are enormously talented, mm. uh, skilled, Um I, a couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to meet Steve Klein. If you know who Steve Klein is, he's he's just amazing. And then we have other people in this industry who can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the ones that can barely walk and chew gum like to call themselves luthiers. And I just want to barbecue them. I just, I just, I, 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 you know, it, it's a terminology that people used to try to bamboozle people no, I if somebody has if somebody has the goods but it's hard to it's hard to like describe what you do with guitars and caffeine 
Yeah. It's not oh, technically because you're she a, does magic. I, well, I, <laughs> ta da! No, no, I, I like to be called a repairer. You know, I think the, the one experience that turned me off to the word luthier um, was I was watching, uh, it, it was a gear talk, right? It was an interview and uh, on YouTube, and I had stopped because there was a female, and it was maybe 10 years ago, and I went, whoa, there's a female interviewing, you know, some, some guy's road tech about gear you know i want to i want to listen to this <laughs> and she said um and she said uh i'm with so-and-so's luthier <laughs> and i just stopped luthier. i just it turned it off i just stopped i'm like no i don't want to be a luthier i like that I luthier. Be let's a, be sophisticated yeah <laughs> yeah so, i mean so i think that's, the, that's sort of the, the point idea. is trying to keep it in into a realm where we're <laughs> we're just humans you know yeah. well uh, you've des, you've designed and, and innovated you need to design a new name for this <laughs> yeah, so that we can <laughs> you uh, know uh, Toilet sweep, right? I don't know. I mean, I just think you you can separate pretty quickly right. the the people who have the goods right. and the people that don't have the goods. But I, I think that you kind of touched on something a little earlier on. Is you design for the player, you build for the player. I repair I so. for the player, yeah. right? There's a lot of builders and repairs out there that'll tell you, "Oh no, my way's right." The right. player doesn't know what they're talking about. If it buzzes, it's the player's fault. If it does this and that, instead of saying, well, maybe it's our job to connect the player with the instrument. Absolutely. Right. You know, and, and be more of a service. And so well, we also, besides you play, yeah. making for players, you are a player. Well, that's that true. ultimately is a big deal because you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. You've played. You know yeah. what's bad, what's good. Because you played, yeah, and I you slept, played some. I slept on that living room floor. Yeah, and, 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 I, and, and you I, had I that. Lucky, I got that peanut butter sandwich. And you had that go. million dollar guitar that got away from you. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Now it's a million too. You know, it's, it's because it's, of this it's conversation. My, it's 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 lucky that I was able to experience those instruments when they were that instrument that mm -hmm. I sold to Ace. I sold it for twenty five hundred dollars, and it's a million bucks today. So th that, that was an era when a common person from a blue-collar background could see and hold and own those kinds of instruments. Yeah. Um, today, they're it's, out of... It's, they're, out of, it's, yeah. out of, it's unreachable. But at the same time, yeah. today, there are for the guitar player, there have never been greater choices. Right. There are wonderful people making wonderful instruments. John Sir makes wonderful instruments. Mm -hmm. Tom Anderson makes wonderful instruments. Don Grosh makes wonderful yeah. instruments. There's, a, there's so many opportunities for a player today to get a great instrument. Uh, it's record. never been better. Yeah. Yes. U.S. made. I mean, yeah. that's what it's about. It's. Well, we're out of time. I told you this. Go oh, I wow. we, we, we <laughs> just. I just want to mention real quick www.groverjackson.com. Mm -hmm. And you still have www.guitarsandcaffeine.com. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. Yes. I'm but, spending most of my time with over, Grover. So. But, uh, yeah, I didn't even get my trousers off yet. Yeah. <laughs> check, check, the, uh, check the website <laughs> because you'll see the information for the uh, classes and. The pickups too, the great pickups, and uh, just take a look. And, and also, you, you mentioned some of the people that you're working with, and check out those guitars; they're really nice. I want to thank you guys. Obviously, we just touched the surface, which means you're going to have to come back. You know, that's <laughs> just, just what it is. And uh, but I want to thank you guys for coming on thank the show, you. and yeah, thank you, thank you for making a great guitar because 
I love that guitar, and I'm never selling it. Mm. Well, and my friends know me. He knows. I get very upset <laughs> when you sell guitars because you always regret when you sell a great mm, instrument. Yes. You know what I mean? But anyway, everybody, um, I, thanks again. Doug, thanks for hanging with us. And okay. Chelsea, for putting this yep. together. You're just awesome. Um, we will be back next week. And definitely check out Grover's site, GroverJackson.com, because there's some exciting things. And check out these pickups, too. We didn't even get to, We have to try them next time. We're going to have to yeah, pull we'll some of those pickups up. Anyway, we will be back next week. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you later. Bye.